One little clearinghouse goes to market, one small interest rate platform gets refunded. Welcome to the Exchange Invest Weekly with me, Patrick L. Young. This week in the bourse business, CBOE, the formerly Chicago Board Options Exchange, now calling themselves global markets, although they're really sort of transatlantic markets. But anyway, their European arm has agreed to acquire the European Equities Clearinghouse Euro CCP. Was it an aggressive bid or was it simply the opportunity to rescue something that was at death's door? Certainly given the fact that Euronext seem to have taken a significant markdown on the sale of their stake, which they've only had for a couple of years, it looks as if it was somewhat of the latter. SIBO get to secure the clearing franchise for their equities trading, which must be quite useful within the European marketplace. Although a few analysts were getting rather overwrought at the concept that this would somehow or other allow them to jump easily and expeditiously into the world of clearing equity options and derivatives. In the small step for mankind, this is definitely a giant leap altogether. At the same time, interesting to note, David House, the incoming CEO, was quoted on the press releases with no mention of outgoing CEO Mark Hemsley, who has clearly already left the building, attained unperson status, or at least retired. Full points there too, Sam Agini at Financial News. He was the man who brought us the news of this little deal as a scoop via his excellent columns. Meanwhile, elsewhere in deals, Curve Global, the little interest rate platform that can, continues to be growing, innovating, building momentum, and indeed has got another $20 million in funding to match the $20 million it got last year. Actually, I digress. It was £20 million in funding. Even better, given the fact of the strength of the pound during the course of the last day or so, as this podcast was going to pixel, on the basis that, indeed, the Brexit deal seems to be assured, and therefore the pound was roaring thanks to the re-election of the Boris Johnson government with a stonking majority. However, back to Curve Global. Interesting platform. They have produced a credible product base. It's still far from mature, but it's building its niche and endeavouring to do the right thing serving clients. It's a good thing. It helps keeping the market competitive for clients all round. And it'll be interesting to see how they fare during the course of 2020, when, of course, eyeballs are supposed to be dying. Albeit, we're still not quite sure what shape the new Pokemon of interest rates will be. Meanwhile, over at Refinitiv, which is, of course, in the process of being acquired by the parent group of Curve Global, none other than the London Stock Exchange Group, Refinitiv are looking to slash the costs on their borrowing. They've got US dollars 6.45 billion of loans. Just after the record buyout, it's actually only one year on. Well, it's very simple. It's effectively a balance sheet ARB. Given the LSE's rather healthy financial position overall, investors are basically much more relaxed and therefore willing to pay a lower coupon for refinitive debt. As one investor put it, and I quote, Investors view refinitive as a much better credit given the announcement from the LSE. A lot of the concerns around the financing from Blackstone have settled too. The concerns are not the business, but the loan documents, sponsor risk and high leverage. In other news about Refinitiv, the South China Morning Post broke the news that actually Refinitiv apparently have filters on the desktop, which keeps Hong Kong unrest news away from mainland Chinese customers. Fake news? Well, no. Rather, a big fat great wall precluding you from knowing what's going on. 
Direct listings. You'll remember last week we were ecstatic at the news that New York Stock Exchange were leading the way, seeking a proposal on US direct listings. Well, the week started rather annoyingly. It seemed as if, with a refusal and an instant rejection, it seemed early in the week, therefore, that the SEC was blindly following a path of subsidy for bankers. That struck us as a poor option, particularly under Republican administration. But at the same time, actually, by the time we got to the end of the week, there was good news. It looks as if the new proposal from the NYSE was actually allowing a more expansive direct offering proposal. The overall amount that could be offered had gone from a minimum threshold of $250 million down to $100 million already. And that was being sent to the SEC for the consideration. Stay tuned, folks. Direct offerings are coming soon to NYSE and doubtless NASDAQ in a low-latency New York minute thereafter. Once the SEC have decided on the framework. Exciting times for issuance, bad news for investment bankers, great news for issuers, fabulous news for public markets. In memos and other exciting things, PNGX, the Papua New Guinea Exchange and the South Pacific Stock Exchange entered into an MOU on development of mutual capital markets, which looks quite interesting. There were charity days at the Nairobi Stock Exchange and also TPICAT. While there were also some further fallout from the whole story of Bor Scott, rather sadly it appears there that Project Heather, Euronext are owed some 500000 for technology payments. It's a sad end to a noble concept, it seems. NASDAQ. At the same time, they're launching a sustainable bond network. What a good idea. The NASDAQ Sustainable Bond Network aims to help unify data on the whole area. If only we could have the same thing at, say, the political media macro to sort out the apocalyptic morons from those analysing what climate change there may be and how better to impact the environment. Nonetheless, this is a great move from NASDAQ, given that green bond issuance reached $117 billion in the first half of 2019, none other than 47% year-on-year growth. Thus, this free resource is very, very welcome. In the digital world, Börse Stuttgart are opening their digital exchange to all German investors, and the Arabian Bourse has received an eight-figure sum to set up its crypto asset exchange, which it had already announced in Abu Dhabi. In other refundings, DAH Digital Asset Holdings, they have received another $35 million in a round, which was backed by, amongst others, the Australian Stock Exchange. When it comes to Cumex, well, German lender Warburg, they're seeking to settle the Cumex tax investigation, but at the same time, there seem to be all manner of other cases that are burbling along beneath the surface. This one is definitely going to run and run. In the SEBI co-location case with the NSE, the National Stock Exchange of India, the SAT court was told that effectively SEBI needed to prove the basis for the disgorgement. Indeed, in one great headline from the Hindu Business Line, it said, co-location case, SEBI's approach to fine, in inverted commas, casual, National Stock Exchange tells tribunal. That's another one that looks to be going to run and run. Of all the people who deserve praise this week in the parish, it's got to be the Saudi exchange Tadawul. They listed Aramco. Aramco managed to rocket to being the world's largest listed company very rapidly and also hit its two trillion magic number, which its issuers were originally looking to achieve. They didn't get that on the IPO itself, which started about 1.7 trillion overall, but they did manage to list and garner more new money than anybody else has done in history, beating Alibaba a few years ago. And of course, Apple has now been dethroned as the world's largest publicly listed company. At the same time, bear in mind that Aramco at $2 trillion is therefore larger than the next five oil majors in the world. Quite a stunning deal altogether and wonderful to see that Tadawil have been able to list it entirely effortlessly without a hiccup. When it came to gold, a couple of stories this week. 
various things happening. First of all, we had in India discussion of the fact that there needs to be an electronic gold spot exchange in the vast continental country. At the same time, in Turkey, a story or two that raise some questions. The report headlined in Bloomberg, Turkey wants the world's gold, with few questions added. I can't imagine that's going to appeal to the good folks of the FIAU and other money laundering agencies. Is it being conveniently buried in order to be lost over Christmas and then forgotten? Who knows, but the London Stock Exchange has bowed to pressure from various investor lobby groups from the two-dimensional flat-earth cash organisations who are seeking a shorter trading day for London equities. Thus, the London Stock Exchange has opened its consultation to a shorter trading day with a very significant caveat. And I quote, There is a general sentiment that a coordinated approach by European exchanges would be required in order for a change to be effective. Which, in other words, means there's no chance of this happening, but we're going to basically disabuse these silly folks who think that somehow or other the London cash market operates separate to actually everything that's going on elsewhere around the European and global marketplace. In People News this week, the National Stock Exchange of India finally has a chairman. You'll recall that they lost their chairman, Ashok Chavla, who was a career civil servant who resigned in January, just about the time when a lot of the heat was on over the co-location scandal. They've managed to find another career civil servant. Tsk, tsk. I always wonder what might happen if we managed to get someone who was actually, well, say, you know, a proper business person chairing an exchange in India. But of course, that's not the done thing in the SEBI-regulated world. Anyway, good luck to Jirish Chandra Chaturvedi. He's a former senior Indian energy ministry official who was a public interest director already of the NSE, and he is now going to step up to the plate as chairman of the NSE, once the poster child of Indian electronic exchanges, but now somewhat tarnished as a result of a few recent scandals. And of course, one of the things that Chairman Chaturvedi is immediately going to be having to do and sort out, he's in the thick of it. As a major Indian broker, Carvey has somewhat imploded across the Indian landscape. And then, of course, thereafter, he needs to get the NSE off the low latency naughty step as a result of the co-location issues previously. Over at the Multi-Commodity of Exchange of India, no reason given, but the CFO Sanjay Wadha has resigned, admitted he was several years into his overall contract, and we got an interesting new organisational structure at the Athens Exchange Group, which I outlined in greater detail in the Exchange Invest newsletter itself. Of course, the big news was the confirmation that the new Georgia senator, replacing the unfortunately ill senator Isaacson, who has had to stand down, is none other than ace parishioner Kelly Loeffler. Over at the Swiss Exchange, they have also confirmed that Thomas Wellar is going to be appointed to the Board of Six by the AGM and indeed will be confirmed as the new chairman by the Board of Directors with effect from 15th of March 2020. He's replacing Romeo Lacker. At the same time, Thomas Gottstein, CEO of Credit Suisse Switzerland AG, has been elected as a full member of the board, replacing Pierre-Olivier Bouet, who has resigned. And finally, on a sad note in People News this week, my condolences. My dear old friend Martin Hollander, a long-standing hedgy and derivatives dude, who was employed at one time by the Climate Exchange in Chicago, Martin, his wife and his two boys have all died as a result of being on that island in New Zealand where the volcano exploded this week. Terrible news. Our condolences to all and sundry. In technology news this week, Euronext have successfully rolled out their derivatives markets onto the Optic trading platform. 
At the same time, we had a fascinating story about how a fake derivatives trading nexus of stockbrokers in India were busted by their IT departments. Absolutely fascinating story from India today. Elsewhere, the Vienna Stock Exchange, they've also completed their T7 upgrade. Meanwhile, also, great news for LSEG's Millennium Group. They have managed to sell a new series of wonderful widgets and wongles and lines of code to the Securities Clearing Corporation of the Philippines. Elsewhere, BME, the Spanish exchange, which of course is still under bid from six, and in parentheses, still no sign of that Euronext bid. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Anyway, back in the tech world, BME have launched their blockchain-based collateral pledge management service. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. In product news, of course, that Saudi Aramco IPO rather overshadowed everything. They raised $25.6 billion, in other words, something like the entire capital of... Well, certainly the Deutsche Börse, probably pretty close to actually LSE today. I don't have my screen in front of me. Quite incredible. That's a touch above Alibaba giving Tadawul the world record for the largest IPO. It was a day to be proud of with a smooth launch of the stock, which inched rapidly towards the two trillion market capitalization point that its owners had originally hoped for. Very, very good. Excellent to see the parish functioning so well with such a massive initial listing. Meanwhile, the South China Morning Post raised an interesting question. Is Alibaba's mega listing in Hong Kong, you'll recall they had a very successful secondary listing just the other week, is that listing the prelude to an exodus of Chinese technology stocks? Time will tell. Interesting to see. Of course, elsewhere, huge amounts of discussion still about LIBOR. Nobody seems to quite know what's going on, but everybody's welcoming something along the lines of software, or so they think, or at least they're going to ask their issuers. More about that probably in next week's podcast, which will be the final one before Christmas. Elsewhere, news about the Shenzhen Exchange introducing a pilot for stock options trading and the Moscow Exchange launching Russian wheat futures. There's only one daily news source for the business of bourses, Exchange Invest, the exchange of information. Exchange Invest publishes the daily digest of everything in the market structure industry around the world in a user-friendly email briefing format from Monday to Friday. With additional pith by former Exchange CEO and long-standing fintech pioneer Patrick L. Young, yes, that's me, Exchange Invest is the unique one-stop shop for the daily news in markets, market operators and related functions. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. In terms of valuation of the week, ESMA have valued EU derivatives markets as 735 trillion euros. Hmm, interesting to look at the analysis. Big rise in venues in trading. Hurrah. CCP looks to be stable at about 60% of interest rate markets overall and 25% of credit derivatives. Makes you wonder who the people are with huge pockets that can manage to afford the rather swinging cost of the balance sheet of the other 40% of interest rate markets and 75% of credit derivatives. Equally, the fact that 25% of credit derivatives are only being centrally counterparty cleared has to be worrying as, I mean, weren't they the cause of the problems of the last crash? No? 
It makes one wonder why ESMA is concentrating on having CCPs provide more capital, when clearly we need the counterparties to be safer in their dealings in a significant minority of interest rate derivatives, and that frightening number, three quarters of European traded credit derivatives. Food for thought, and indeed, the odd sleepless night, I fear. Elsewhere, next fiscal year we ought to see electricity futures coming to India, while the New Zealand exchange is partnering with the EEX to pursue carbon market opportunities. The National Stock Exchange of India, they've launched interest rate options on Government of India bonds, which is going to be very, very exciting, methinks. And meanwhile, crypto exchange OKEX, they were saying we're launching options trading later this month. Well, that's a wonderful thing, and it's great to be ahead of the CME group, but I can't help but notice, just as I couldn't help but notice when I was talking about ESMA and derivatives a moment ago, I mean, the CME has, what, a gazillo trillion of capital pre-waterfall in an internationally renowned CCP. OKX is what? I think a disintermediated complex functionality and a track record of abruptly cancelling futures contracts while they are actually trading. I was minded to say, what could possibly go wrong? I don't wish to sound overly sarcastic, I'm just deeply concerned. This sort of thing, where we suddenly get the opening of a derivatives market without a proper CCP, strikes me as everything that went wrong in 2008, and everything that could deeply tarnish the crypto market. In other crypto exchange news, Huobi, they have abruptly terminated their attempts to be regulatory compliant in America, shutting all their operations down there. And ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of this week's brief review of the Bourse business. We're galloping towards Christmas. There will be one more episode before the festive season, which will be out next week. My name is Patrick L. Young. Thank you very much for listening. And indeed, I wish you all a great week in markets. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.